The Duty of Women, Chapter 12. After Queen Anne had been taken to the Tower of London, her household became listless and miserable. What were we to do? The woman we had served was a prisoner. There was no other lady who could take charge. So we drank, we played cards, we gathered every bit of information that we could. I could feel my belly swelling, but so far it didn't show when I was dressed. My sickness had decreased and I found myself eating well again. In all of the chaos, I held on to Lady Jane's promise that when my time was near, I could go and stay with Mistress Mead at Wolf Hall. Lady Jane Seymour was one of the few people in the household who was excited. Her face was pink and almost pretty. She was wearing a pale pink gown, shimmering with pearls, with an apple-green kirtle. For her, spring had arrived. It won't be long now, Cat, she said. He will get the marriage annulled and send her away. We'll be married by June. She took me to her chamber and showed me the bolts of cloth the king had sent her to make her wedding dress. Lying on the bed was a heavy roll of scarlet velvet embossed in gold with her emblem the phoenix rising, and the Tudor rose. There was another roll of golden tissue shot through with tiny diamonds and one of silver tissue blazing with rubies. Jane was delighted with them. His Majesty is sending his tailor and sempstresses to me today to make up the gown. They have assured him they can finish it in a fortnight. I must have looked dubious, because she added defensively, It will all be done by then, Cat, and we will have a June wedding. He has promised me the Queen's jewels and preferment for my family. He's so kind, Cat, you must realise that. I shook my head. It wasn't politic to disagree too fervently with Jane, as she, after all, may soon be Queen. But I wasn't convinced by her account of how things would go. It may be more difficult than that, I said. Remember how long it took with Queen Catherine? Jane crossed herself and nodded. I, I understand that. God bless her. But she was the rightful queen and everybody loved her. That was why it took so long. Anne Boleyn is not our rightful queen. She is a usurper. I don't like to say what they call her on the streets. What is it? Goggle-eyed whore, she said triumphantly. When she departs, the nation will celebrate. I know that. Hey, Cat, will you play at our wedding? I smiled. 
She was such an innocent. It was not up to me to disillusion her, not now. Yes, if the king wishes me to do so, I will, I said, thinking that by that time anything happened, if it did, I would be down in Wiltshire, nursing a new baby. That morning I had felt the baby for the first time. Daughter, that was you. You felt as if you were blowing a bubble that burst on the inside of my belly. Of course, it was your tiny foot that made the almost insensible impact. You were already claiming me as your mother and I was starting to talk to you in my thoughts as my child, my future. I am here, my love. Nothing will hurt you. God will watch over you and your mother's love will always be there. To be honest, it was you, daughter, that kept me going through that terrible time. The news got worse and worse. I heard from Ned, another musician, that Mark Smeaton had indeed gone to Thomas Cromwell's house, but that what had happened there was not a drinking session, but prolonged torture. The thought of that happening in the house while I had been so happy with Will made me shudder. Had Mark Smeaton cried out for mercy in the very chambers where we had known love? I remembered Cromwell's wife, his lovely daughters. He had been a devoted husband and father. Why had he soiled their memories by conducting such a despicable action at their family house? I had known for some time Cromwell was dangerous, but it was only at that time I realised that he was completely without scruple. He had dragged a tale of Queen Anne's adultery out of Mark Smeaton through fear and pain by knotting and tightening a rope around his neck until he could barely breathe. What is more, I was convinced he knew it was all lies. Each day we heard of a different man who had been arrested. Sir William Brereton, Sir Francis Weston, Sir Richard Page. Then the shocking news that George Boleyn, Queen Anne's brother, was in the tower. I had never liked George. I could not forget the time he had tried to rape me by tricking me to come to Anne's chamber. But he was charged with incest, with being intimate with his sister. I knew, and all the court knew, that this was nonsense. They were very close. They loved each other dearly. But he had never bedded Anne. What was even worse were the rumours being spread in every alehouse and marketplace in London. The king was impotent, and so Queen Anne had looked to conceive by having sex with other men, even her own brother. Who spread these rumours? It could not be the king's men, for he would have not allowed such a tale to go out. I came to the conclusion that it must have been Cromwell's agents that did so. I thanked God that Will was safely in Yorkshire and could not have been asked to do this. I knew that if he had been in London, he would have had to obey Cromwell's orders and that would have driven another rift between us. I was starting to realise that if he and I were to reunite, we would have to have some distance from Cromwell. I could not bear the thought 
of being under the patronage of a man who had been so friendly, but was in reality unscrupulous, even evil. I still had the letter to Will that I'd been going to send to Austin Friars, but how could I send it now? It stayed in my pouch, knocking gently against the baby in my belly. Tom Wyatt was taken the following Monday. He had been right. He was a target because of his well-known affection for the Queen. He was imprisoned in the Tower, along with the other men. It seemed to me that Queen Anne's accusers must have expected her to have spent her entire waking life committing adultery. Five men were charged. Five men! If this had been true, where did the Queen find time to visit monasteries, hunt, debate theology, dance, sleep with the King? It was unbelievable. Only one of the men had admitted to adultery with her, and everyone knew it had been tortured out of him. All the others protested their and her innocence. I looked at the names on the charge sheet. Sir Henry Norris, Sir William Brereton, Sir Francis Weston, Mark Smeaton and George Boleyn, Lord Rochford. Tom's not on here. I said out loud. No, cat. just give it a few days, Ned said. But I couldn't help but hope that this was a good sign. Tom was getting a rap over the knuckles, no more. There were other men in the tower too, all of them waiting to hear if they too would be charged. For a few days I existed in a state of disbelief. This could not be happening. It was all a mistake. I prayed that Queen Anne would agree to an annulment of her marriage to the king. Then the way would be clear for her to go to a convent and the men involved to be exiled for a few years. That is what I, and many other at court, believed would happen. But then it was announced that the men would go on trial and following them, the queen and her brother. The speed of it was what was so disorientating. Only two weeks before the Queen had been magnificently presiding over a May Day joust. Only four months before she had been pregnant with the King's child. All of the systems and protocols of the court seemed to me dissolving before my eyes. The King, closeted, alone, said to be impotent. The Queen, imprisoned. The Queen's brother, accused of incest and treason. Only Lady Jane continued serene, updating me on the state of readiness of her wedding gown and debating what jewels she might wear. By the end of the week, the men were put on trial. Not George Boleyn, he would be tried with his sister, but all the others, Norris, Brereton, Weston and Smeaton. The charges were adultery and treason. All of them pleaded not guilty to treason, and only Smeaton admitted adultery. They all stood their ground in court, but to no avail. The word came out that they were all found guilty, sentenced to death by being hung, drawn and quartered. It was to be Anne and George's trials on Monday. The court was deathly quiet, everyone going about their business almost stealthily, the only sound, the hushed buzz of the latest gossip. I could barely stand being there. 
but I had nowhere else to go, so there was no choice. I went to church on Sunday, as we were required to do, and then decided to spend the rest of the day walking around the countryside park that surrounded Greenwich Palace. I remembered so many hunting parties, so many games and disguises, so many maydays. But now, although the weather was sunny and spring-like, the park was deserted. I walked, breathing in the scent of the grass. I prayed to the wind. Dear Jesus Christ, have mercy on the Queen and the men with her. Let the King be merciful, I beg, please God. Keep Tom safe. Of all of them, he is the best. But they're all innocent. I made a mad kind of bargain in my head with God. If Queen Anne and the others escaped with their lives, I would go back to Will. I would become submissive and pleasing to him and live under Cromwell's patronage, however much I hated it. I would do everything I could to forward Will's career and live a contented life as a lawyer's wife. There would be no more dreams of queens and royal ancestry. I got back late, when the night was just tipping over the sky, and went straight to bed. The next day was one of the longest I have ever experienced. All of the servants, the ladies, and the courtiers who were not involved were just waiting for news from the tower where the trials were to be held. I imagined Queen Anne. The gossip was that she had wept and screamed in her imprisonment, but in public she would be magnificent. She would know that the charges against her were trumped up and she would be able to prove that. Inside my head, I reminded God of the bargain I had made with him. Let them go, let them go, please God, my internal voice kept saying. Maybe if I prayed hard enough that would work. As I walked around all the court, all I could do was to continue my dialogue with, with God. I tried to join in a card game, but my head was full of superstitious incantations that were more to do with witchcraft than religion. I kept on telling myself, if I turn up a queen, she'll be released, but if I turn up a king, she will die. But I lasted about half an hour until the other players ended the game, saying we were all too distracted. Late that afternoon, the news came out. The Queen had made a good defence, but she'd been found guilty of treason and adultery. The punishment given was either burning or beheading. It was for the King in his mercy to decide. In his mercy? What mercy was this? The sentence had been pronounced by Anne's uncle, the Duke of Norfolk. Her father was on the jury. So powerful men repay the women that brought them that power. All around the great hall people were talking. Some were laughing, others looked grim. Servants mingled with nobles. There was no structure to our existence on that day. I made for the chapel, brushing past the crowds. I could not talk to anyone. Tom, my only friend, was still in prison. Queen Anne, my patron, was sentenced to death. The worst I could imagine was happening. I knelt down, and I am ashamed to admit it, I berated God. How can this happen? I've seen it once with Catherine, now with Anne. They're good women, religious women, 
and the men that will bring them down are evil. Lord Jesu, why do you allow this? I felt the tears pouring down my cheeks and I bowed my head so that no one could see. There were only a couple of elderly ladies in there and they were both lost in prayer. The silence was broken, a woman rushing through the gloom. Cat, come, I must talk with you. It was Lady Jane Seymour, looking white and afraid. Her hood was askew and her nails bitten to the quick. What are you doing here? I would have thought you would be with the king, preparing for your wedding. A note of anger had crept into my voice, but she didn't notice it. I can't, I can't. Cat, come to my chamber. I need to talk. I got off my knees and followed her. I wasn't feeling well inclined to her at that moment, but she probably knew more than me about what was going on, and I might learn something. We hurried to her chamber, guarded now by one of the king's men. She brushed past him and ushered me in. In the corner of the room was a large oak chest. The table was piled high with perfumes, creams and syrups, and her bed hangings were now blue velvet and gold. She shut the door and immediately clung to me. Cat, what am I to do? He's going to kill her and marry me on the morrow. I didn't think it would be like this, Cat. He told me he'd send her to a nunnery. But now, now she's to die. He will kill her. She clasped at the crucifix hanging around her neck. Did you not think that this would happen? I asked her. There was a chance that she hadn't. She was such a naive girl. The king wants them all out of the way. He doesn't want to ever see them or think of them again. It will be as if she had never been and you will become his queen. Cat, I'm scared. I'm so scared. I don't want to go through with it. If he can execute Anne, then he can execute me. What if I displease him? What if I don't give him a son? I felt like telling her that she should have thought of that earlier, but I was kinder than that. My lady, we know what the Queen Anne is like. She disputes with the king and she shouts at him. He got tired of it. But you will never say a word that makes him angry. That is what he wants, some peace and quiet. I thought to myself that she would be a change after Henry had spent so many years with women who were more intelligent than he was. But what if I don't give him a son? She wailed. I was forced to concede that this might be a problem, but I told her comfortingly that in that case he would simply send her to a nunnery. There was no way he could find anything to bring her to the scaffold. They say she might burn, Lady Jane whispered. I'm scared, Cat. I don't want to do it now. But if I say no, my father will force me to obey. I have no choice, Cat. Tears were flowing down her cheeks. She started to shake uncontrollably. Then she took a deep breath, trying to control herself. She took a key from her pouch and went over and unlocked the chest. Come, Cat, look at these, she said. I gasped when I saw what was inside. It was dark, but within it was a mass of gold, diamonds and other jewels twinkling in the candlelight. A queen's crown, so ablaze with jewels that you could scarcely see the gold that they were set into. 
many, many linen bags. She pulled one out of a chest and retrieved its contents. A gold chain set with pearls so large they were like quail's eggs, each one mounted in its own nest of diamonds. The Queen's jewels, she said flatly. He sent them to me. Two weeks ago, Anne was wearing this. I nodded. Yes, and Queen Catherine before her. They're very beautiful, my lady. She held the chain around her neck and started to wail. They're chains, cat, made for queens. They will imprison me. I'd never seen her like this, hysterical with fear. I took her into my arms to try to calm her. Don't worry, my lady. You will not suffer Anne's fate, I'm sure of it. And once I've had my babe, I will come back to look after you, I promise. She looked at me as a drowning woman might when thrown a life raft. Will you, cat? I need someone. I can't do this on my own. I soothed her as if she were a little child. You will be safe, my lady. You need not worry. You will be a great queen and the king will love you. I put the certainty into my voice that I did not feel. Slowly, her sobs ceased. The next day, Lady Jane was no longer at court. I guessed she had gone to join the king, wherever he was. It was as if the pair of them had vanished, unwilling to take part in the macabre events that were unfolding inexorably in London. I heard from Ned that the king had exercised his prerogative for mercy. Mercy? So they're not to die? Maybe God had listened to my prayers after all. But Ned cut short my hopes. Oh, they'll die right enough. But they're not to be hung, drawn and quartered. Instead, they will be executed on Tower Hill. It is mercy enough, Cat. Their end will be swift, so long as the axeman knows his business. And what about Queen Anne? Ned allowed himself a little smile. The king has given her the greatest mercy. She is not to be burned, but to be executed. Burning would have been a terrible fate. I was glad at least she would not have to go through that. But I imagined a heavy, blunt axe on her slender neck and shuddered. Poor lady, she does not deserve this. The king loved her so much. I cannot understand why he has changed. Surely he could send her to a nunnery. Ned, though, shook his head. He looked around and then whispered. She was promised that, I heard, in return for agreeing to an annulment of their marriage, he said. But they went back on their word. The king says he is chivalrous and merciful, as instead of an English axeman, he has engaged a swordsman from Calais, whose sword is so sharp she will barely feel it. I felt my stomach lurch at this, and I almost vomited. But my fellow musician Ned hadn't finished. Cat, they sent for the swordsman before she was tried. You know what that means? It means the whole thing was decided before she was pronounced guilty, maybe before she was even charged. So, the King and Cromwell had it all planned weeks ago. And because they had had to concoct a story that Queen Anne was unfaithful, 
in order to justify her execution. The very lies about her adultery had hardened his cruelty against her. And all of this because he was tired of her. Thank heavens that no other men in the kingdom have that power, or else the executioners would never cease cutting off women's heads. Although the king was my father, I had never hated him more than I did when I heard that. All the time, he pretended that he was a good and pious man, but in fact, he was evil. I turned away from Ned and wretched. You're right, Mistress Cat. Do you need to sit down? I didn't know Ned well, but these times of chaos made us all into one day allies. No, I'm fine. It was just hard to understand. One day she's wearing the crown. Two weeks later she's mounting the block. I'm glad I'm just an ordinary person. Ned nodded. We're much safer, Cat, so long as we're not dismissed and then starved to death. All we did was wait. Like Catherine, Anne was no longer considered the queen. We, so we had no queen to obey, no dancing, no dainty embroideries or merry madrigals. We heard that all five men had been executed on the Wednesday. All of them had uttered pious words about being sinners, but that was expected on the block, and they wouldn't dare go against the king. They all had families who might suffer otherwise. But only Mark Smeaton ever said that he had had sex with Queen Anne. He, poor man, had had it tortured out of him and was too scared to retract his confession. They were all executed on the same block, which became more and more bloody with each soul that perished on it. It seemed so wrong to me, daughter, to be killing men in a fit of pique, men whose mothers had carried them as babies, who'd been loved. I knew that love was in my body with my baby, and I knew that it was completely opposed to the death that was all around me. That was you, daughter, and it was you that gave me the hope to continue through those terrible days. Anne was meant to die on the following day. At Greenwich, we all held our breath for news, but it was postponed. The tower had been full of foreign dignitaries gathering to watch the day's entertainment, and Cromwell had decided at the last minute that they shouldn't see it. Letters to all the capitals of Europe giving the bloody details of the beheading of a queen were maybe not the best way to encourage alliances. And so it was Friday that she was killed. On that day, I don't think many of us ate. Of course, it was a fast day and we didn't usually eat meat. Instead, there would be fish, rabbit and chicken. But none of us had appetite that day. We hadn't loved the Queen as Queen Catherine had been loved. But although we didn't say it, we didn't think she had deserved what was happening. And then, what would become of us? There would be no queen, that was, unless King Henry married Jane Seymour within hours, and surely he wouldn't do that. It was around half past nine that we heard the distant cannons rumble, and we knew that the deed had been done. In the crowd watching was Master Cromwell, 
I wondered if he'd felt proud of the success of his plan. She and he had been on the same side for many years, but they had disagreed towards the end. Her allegiance to France threatened his aim to build stronger links with the Holy Roman Empire. And most importantly, in the end, King Henry got tired of her. A second divorce would be too messy. Thankfully, Anne had no friends who might threaten war if she was executed. And so she was eliminated. The whole process took less than three weeks. Also watching was her uncle, the Duke of Norfolk. The king's illegitimate son, Henry Fitzroy, Duke of Richmond, and the mayor and alderman of London. I wondered how she had felt seeing all of her one-time friends ranged against her. I heard she spoke well and was dignified and queen-like to the end. But no dignity after that, when her body was bundled into an old arrow chest, as no one had thought to obtain a coffin. Strange to think, daughter, that she was the mother of our current great Queen Elizabeth. She had ended her days in disgrace, unable to provide an heir. But her despised daughter is now our Queen, and a wiser monarch there has never been. Less than two weeks after Anne's death, I heard that King Henry had married Jane Seymour privately at Whitehall. There was to be no large wedding, no feasts or celebrations. I guess even he had decided that this might be in bad taste. But as the news leaked out, the dancing started. It was all presided over by King Henry and Queen Jane, sitting under the canopy of royal estate, both magnificently dressed, but Jane looking as if she would rather be reading a theological book than the centre of this brilliant court. We were told that all of the household was being retained. Some of the ladies-in-waiting would go, but others would stay, and all of the servants were allowed to remain. We were not important enough to be excluded. Nonetheless, I have to admit I was relieved, daughter. I needed my wages, and I feared what was going to happen when I had to go to the country to give birth. I need not have worried. Queen Jane rapidly sent for me and told me that when my time came, she would give me leave of absence. I curtsied deeply in gratitude to her. Then she looked at all the courtiers standing around her. I think I caught a small look of panic in her eyes, but she collected herself. My lords and ladies, I have a slight headache. I wish to retire for a short time. Mistress Cat Cook, you may accompany me to play me soothing music. The rest of you may take the afternoon for yourselves. The courtiers dispersed, talking and joking loudly. Strange how quickly life returned to normal. Jane led me into her bedchamber, pulled her heavy hood off, and lay down on the bed. What would you like me to play, Your Majesty? I asked. She waved her arm as if to wave away a fly. No, I don't want music. I want to talk with someone I trust, she said. I lay down my lute and stood there waiting. She sat up on the bed and patted the space beside her. Come, cat, sit here. 
I'm still scared, Cat. He's not always kind, you know. I was not surprised. If I say anything he doesn't like, he accuses me of disobedience. So I end up not saying anything. And married life. I didn't know it would be such an unpleasant duty. I didn't tell her that it was King Henry that made it unpleasant. My experience of lovemaking with Will and with Tom Wyatt had been delightful. It can be a shock the first time, I say, but I'm sure you'll get used to it. Jane looked unconvinced. But he's so heavy. I can't breathe, Cat, and he dribbles all over me. I feel dirty afterwards. All I want to do is wash and then have some wine to help me forget. Suddenly she started as if she'd remembered something. Cat, you won't tell anyone, will you? I'm scared of him, honestly. I won't tell anyone, I assured her, and I did not. Of course I'm telling you now, daughter, but they are all long dead. But the truth was that they were not the perfect couple that they were portrayed as. Although Henry said he loved her, she became more and more terrified of him, fearing she too would be sent to the scaffold. And to be honest, daughter, if things hadn't worked out differently, she might have trodden in Anne Boleyn's footsteps. Was she lucky? You can judge, daughter, if you ask yourself if you would have considered yourself lucky to be in her position. And despite all the fine clothes and the magnificent surroundings, and despite the manners that Henry gave Jane and the jewels he lavished on her, she lived with a golden sword positioned above her neck, and she knew it.